So how's the tour been so far? I mean, you guys have been already out there for three weeks, right? Yeah, well, this is day 16 or 17. Okay. We have five sets left. And we are, you know, we are feeling it as far as, you know, a little bit of tiredness. But otherwise, we're all in good spirits. Um, it's been fun. We're still getting along. You know, we're adjusted to the life of being on the road. Um, and it's been it's been really neat. It's been good, you know, even on the nights that were not the most populated or maybe not as great of turnout, we still were able to, you know, meet plenty of good people and make friends and have good experiences, play with some really tight artists and everything. And so it's been worth it for sure overall. Yeah, it seems like it's been like a pretty DIY tour. Like it looked like you guys were even like trying to hunt down like show spots while you're out there like uh, for in DC. Philly. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> we Philly. were that Philly show dropped the day off. <laughs> and we had six venue changes leading up to it. Oh my God. And so we knew something was going to happen, of course. And we just ended up having that day off, which is fine considering we will be have been on the road at the end of this for 22 days. One day without a show is not the end of the world. Um However, we would have rather played one. We don't like to take days off. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Hey, feel free to jump in too, Dad. Okay. Yeah, you're not. A trick. Don't need a silence. You'll, you too, Taylor, if you want. <laughs> We're just having a completely different conversation than I was like realizing. At age six. Oh, no, that's okay. Without a face. <laughs> but um, man, I like. I just got off work, so I'm like still kind of, yeah. you know. No but, sweat. Uh, yeah, you know, let's just start with this. So, um, have you guys ever played in New Orleans before? Nope. No. Never. No? Never? Not even in any other bands. Really? Yeah, okay. yeah. So, so, is this your first time, uh, y'all's first time to the city at all? Or? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I came once when I was 18. For uh, like I a school trip. Hipster, <laughs> <laughs> huh? When was uh, that? Back to yeah. the pyramid. I fucked you in college. <laughs> um, I liked it a lot. I'm glad to be back. Yeah, that's awesome. But y'all have uh, opened for Val, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you guys kind of have that New Orleans connection in a weird way. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we opened for them, Uniform, and Full of Hell on an update from their tour with Converge last year. Oh. And yeah, it was very cool. And. I've been friends with uh, Casey, who is their guitarist for a while. They, uh, we followed each other on Instagram for a while, and um, I've shot photos for them a couple times. And when I was working merch for the body, uh, we were hanging out at Oblivion Access Festival in Texas for a little while. So, Whoa. yeah, <laughs> that's pretty cool. Yeah, I um, is that kind of how you guys got this show sort of set up? Because exactly. it seems like yeah, with Silver Godling also being on the bill i think silver godling's got a little connection to thou too and but yeah i mean that's cool yeah. but what, what have y'all been doing since you got to town we stopped at sisters of in christ first nice and that was cool um did you guys do uh, the record pick out we are hoping to tomorrow we had some scheduling stuff uh, yeah, nice. yeah yeah that's cool yeah um and that was really neat got a few things over there and then we went over to guys Got some sandwiches, nice. and that was really, really fucking good. That was probably one of the better sandwiches on the tour so far. <laughs> thought it was delicious. I don't know uh, what they got. I got a catfish po' boy, and it was very good. I got the chicken special, which is grilled chicken, Canadian bacon, 
uh, cheddar and Swiss with, it's supposed to be honey mustard, but I got Cajun mustard, which is, or Creole mustard, mm. which was just like regular, like. Just brown mustard. Yeah, just <laughs> brown mustard, which, I mean, it was still delicious, but I was just it's like. my preferred mustard. Yeah. I was just like, interesting. I thought that this would have more of like a southern flavor or something. I don't know what I was expecting. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's all weird. I, uh. I'm curious, so what have you guys thought of it so far, just from like the limited parts of the city you've seen? Well, um, admittedly, we haven't like seen a lot of the city. After yeah. we ate, we all sort of passed out. I think, you know, yeah. we've been hitting the road pretty hard. We haven't had any off days. Um, so we just decided, I think, collectively, without talking to each other, to just pass out for a few hours outside of the venue. And uh, it's uh, honestly, we kind of needed it. Yeah, but that makes sense. My whole thing with being here, especially out after being out of the South for so long on this run, I'm feeling just very like I, the architecture style. There are a lot of similarities. How flat it is to Savannah. I mean, like the, the New Orleans has a lot in common with uh, with our home city, and so being here has just got me excited to be back in my my hometown. I I. We all have different different relationships with the city of Savannah and have been there for different amounts of times. But me personally, I, I love our city. I'm really happy that one of the things we get to do on this tour is go around and represent um, our, our tiny town, you know, on the Atlantic where sometimes people are like, oh, you're from Georgia, so y'all are an Atlanta band, right? And we get mm -hmm. to be like, no, we're from Savannah. And I'm proud to say that, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's awesome. Yeah, it seems like Savannah has always had like a good art scene, but I feel like the music scene has always just oh. kind of been like in and out. Dude, the music scene in Savannah is popping off right now. Yeah. More it, than it has. Yeah, it's, uh, there's like, so you have SCAD, which is bringing a ton of art and film into the town. And in proxy to that, there's all these new musicians that are being flooded into the local scene. Uh, there's a ton of talent, ton of like just unique style that's uh, cultivating something really, really nice in Savannah. I, I think because um, Savannah used to have a much stronger scene probably 10 or 15 years ago. Is that about right? Something like that. Um, you know, there was a lot of stoner sludge, doom stuff that came out of Savannah, Kylesa, Baroness, Black Tusk, um, that have all gone out and done, uh, you know, incredible stuff. Uh, not to say that I think it's returning to the glory days or anything, uh, but I actually think it's probably going to be probably better yeah, than yeah, what that was, you know, actually, at least at least bigger. Yeah, not maybe not better, but bigger. That's cool. Like just like more bands and stuff. Yeah, there's a ton of tons of bands, uh, tons of um, just a ton of talent, you know, a ton of uh, creative ideas, and yeah. Is there like some bands or artists that y'all are like kind of having your radar right now? Well, um, who's our favorite Savannah band? Everybody? Yeah, Let's make uh, friends mad. Honestly, <laughs> uh, my personal vote is for Cameron, who goes by the project name of Nosebleed, but Bleed has five E's. Yeah. He just released a new song called Flooded. Um, he does this really cool style of like electronic percussion where it shifts between like glitch and IDM and breakbeat Break with like really cool like ambient and like really funny like meme samples and like That's popular like TikTok trend uh, samples. And then he live drums and does vocals over them. And they're, it's like fucking fantastic. It's extremely creative. So yeah. it's, uh, I think he's my favorite to watch. Other than that, I think some cool bands in town right now are like 
long way down measurement um um who else has uh, is cool clept really like clept they're like multi-genre just like fuckery um noisy experimental wacky wackadoo stuff yeah um they're really awesome boundary pushing stuff um i, I was gonna say clept too that was yeah. gonna be my favorite <laughs> That's by yeah, far clept is sick i thought you were gonna say something like yeah, no, cool. Cool. Yeah, Klept is awesome. They're kind of like a sort of a Faith No More adjacent. Bungle-esque. Bungle kind of just off the wall, crazy, f- fucked up shit. They're awesome. Yeah. I, I know States. So, okay. I, I wanted to talk to you a little <laughs> bit about this because, you know, you got the States for thing. My first DIY show I ever went to was at the Birdhouse. Yeah. And so, like, I wanted to kind of talk to you about that and, like, kind of. I don't know. You kind of came from like that emo world a little bit yeah. with your old sound with Absolutely. Bird and uh, what kind of like brought you to Savannah and like I don't know how have you sort of grown musically since then? <laughs> that's a great question. That's that's a fantastic question because a lot has changed I feel from like... the days of Bird Person. You <laughs> yeah. know, um, uh, my my wife and I when we graduated when we had both finally finished school. Um, we were like going, the plan was to move to Atlanta um, and we just couldn't afford it. It's a little more expensive up there mm-hmm. and um, we didn't have good enough jobs to swing it. And so we were like, well, your folks live in Savannah. Uh, I've got some friends out there already. I had been playing in a band called Heavy Books um, while I still lived in Statesboro. That's where I met Tanner. He was, he got, we went through like four drummers and he was the final one that we had the longest one that we had and we we were together in that band for a a little more than a year and it was um the thing about bird person that was the change in my music uh preference the the stuff that i like to play now coincided with the shift in my personal you know my personal worldview where I kind of took a step back and I looked at everything Bird Person had done and realized thematically it was all directed inward. It was all stuff about me and my problems and struggles and emotions or whatever. And I felt like it was a time, once that project kind of came to its natural conclusion, uh, and I was like, I'm moving to a new place, I want to start a new band. Uh, it has to be directed outward and whatever it is it has to be inverted away from myself and the thematically has to be concerning itself with actual shit that matters not just me one person and that was really important to me and I talked about that with Tanner when we first started I was like you know it has to be not just about us and uh, I feel like that's a big issue in general with like punk music, yeah. Also, like just like emo music in general too, like being very like inwardly focused, yeah. Because like, whiny and stuff is the common criticism, right? Absolutely. And yeah. then you know everybody has politics, so they don't want to talk about it. Right? Exactly. Well, and it's funny that you bring that up because we were talking about this yesterday. It's a really interesting article by my friend Jenkin Benson, um, who has a lot of salient points on a lot of stuff and. He has this article, um, I'll send it to you so you can link it in the interview if you like. Please. Uh, Yeah. Um, Talking about how like weed emo and like Mm. twink, a lot of like modern like twinkle emo, frat emo, whatever you want to call it, um, 
is purely based around that consumerist late capitalist experience where you can only relate to yourself and other people through the lens of consumerism watching tv or movies or you know like mom jeans literally has lyrics about like eating cheetos and shit you know mm -hmm. it's all existence is mediated through the consumption of products and brands and the worst emo music is just wallowing in that mm. and the best emo music subverts that and works around it and addresses the malaise and alienation that comes from living in america and under capitalism and and ties it into the bigger picture you know mm. bands like captain jazz right or like yafat kodo or something mm. um so it's a uh, I had that kind of subconscious realization as Bird Person ended and it was time to look to what was next and that led to this. Yeah. yeah. Matt, how did you meet uh, Sleeve and like kind of how did the band call come together? <laughs> um, this might be Facebook. Cool. Really? No. Yeah, Facebook. Yeah. That's Facebook. where a lot of, you know, the <laughs> Florida scene and know Georgia know. scene exists for some reason. So <laughs> I, at that time, I had just moved to Savannah. Um, I moved in with a partner and went on tour for a month doing a solo project and then came back. We broke up and I lived on their couch for like a month. But then I found my own place in Seed in Savannah. And I made a couple friends, one of whom was in the Savannah metal scene group, which I had no fucking idea existed. And um, one day, I think it was actually Sleeve who posted, but someone posted in that group and was like, looking for a vocalist for a band, influences are the Jesus Lizard, uh, Dillinger Escape Plan, Mr. Bungle, and like a couple other artists. And... My friend Temple sends this to me and goes, I don't know any of these bands, but they all sound like bands you would know. <laughs> and I was like, oh, wow, I know literally all of them. <laughs> and so I reached out and uh, had an audition like right before New Year's and came back for a second audition with uh, everyone. And we just like started writing from there. And that was it. So that's cool. Yeah, I think all the bands out of that list that I think is like the most curious is the Dillinger Escape Plan because you know they're kind of like I, I I don't know maybe it's just because I know them more as like the party like mm. Gainesville punk band that everybody oh, knows. Oh, that's best. Dillinger Four. Oh, Dillinger Four. I'm thinking of a, a Dillinger Escape Plan is a different band. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah they're yeah, like right. a '90s mathcore band right. from yeah. uh, Brooklyn. Question mark? No, I don't know. I, someone, I don't no, know my I've definitely history. heard that before. I, I don't know why I mixed that. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> no, it happens. I knew I knew Dillinger 4 way before I knew uh, Dillinger Skate Plan. Yeah. That, that makes sense. Yeah, no, I feel like you're right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, go ahead. Uh, I wasn't... I didn't have anything. <laughs> well, I was going to ask. Um, so... Nat, I know you, you originally came from Florida and then you kind of came up to Georgia. Like, if, how did you kind of like come into the scene? Then also like, what what has sort of like been, I don't know, I want to understand like your connection between those two states and like how those two places kind of influence your work. I know that so, might be a big question. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's a reasonable question. So I feel like Florida is a lot of where I did my growing up, like, in the scenes in Jacksonville mainly, and then, like, Orlando and Tampa and stuff like that. 
you know, that's where I spent a lot of my time. And so building those connections there and meeting the people I did and getting shown the music I was getting shown was really what tailored my tastes and like really influenced me in what kind of band I wanted to be in the shows that I saw down there and the type of crowd interaction there was the level of like you know people being really passionate down there it was very cool to see that firsthand and then decide like oh this is something that I want to do with myself and then like playing in a couple bands down there even like you know I was the bassist in like a beatdown hardcore band for a little while and then like I was the bassist in like a punk rock band and then I was the bassist the first bassist for Guilt a long time ago oh you played a Guilt yeah oh well and then uh <laughs> that's a funny little <laughs> yeah and then uh Tilly and Nico and I were roommates for a while oh, oh cool. shit I didn't and then that. uh yeah so like we've known each other for a very long time and the punk band I was in before I played in Guilt was actually also with Tyler from Guilt and they were playing drums, and then our friend Hannah was on vocals and guitar, and then I was just playing bass. Okay. And it was just, like, silly, fun, like, super femme punk rock, and it was cool. And then, uh, so that was just really what got me into, like, playing music and, like, getting involved in live music. And, like, I worked at a venue down there called Sarbez, and I helped them book shows for a while. And so just getting really familiar with the inside of the industry really tailored me to be like, oh, cool, like, I know the right way to go about things now, so I know that whenever I join a band, I will be able to do it well. Like, I'll be able to figure it out. And so those trial runs really helped me. And then moving to Savannah and going into a scene that I felt much more connected with as an adult, because I was much more into that, like, slower, more experimental, like, heavy music, Mm -hmm. rather than, like, a lot of the emo and, like, uh post-hardcore and stuff that I listened to when I was younger and so it just felt like it was made much better for me to like kind of sink into and go to where people were trying to make a little bit more of experimental stuff which I thought was awesome yeah Savannah's got a huge experimental music scene I think or at least it seems like whenever I lived there and would go to DIY shows in Georgia I mean uh, it seems like there was always a bunch of experimental bands coming out of there but uh, that brings me to something I wanted to talk to y'all about. I feel like there's an interesting intersection with y'all's band about kind of like between a heavier crowd and the less heavier crowds. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think that part of that's like from like, uh, the, you know, some of the like labels you've worked with. Part of that's like the, some of the bands that y'all have like been circled with, like Machinist, Curse Birth, Jillian Carter, all like all them. And then I don't know, maybe Aaron's or Sleeves Past too. Um, with all of that, I, I don't know. So I want to know y'all's thoughts on kind of that intersection between the two crowds. It's funny. It's like the... Because we all come from really, really different musical backgrounds. Like, Nat is basically a library of influence, you know, all the way from R&B to experimental noise, anti-music, and everywhere around there. But, like, you know, Sleeve has his past and a lot of punk and emo and honestly you know i'm i got, i'm kind of the basic bitch of the band like one of my favorite bands is deftones and yeah. <laughs> uh, i know it was queens of the stone age and That's i'm cool. a big stoner sludge fan um and aaron also also has a ton of different influences uh one, i think one of his favorite bands is mashuga so it's like you know being able to cultivate what we are cultivating as a group um coming from so many different backgrounds um, it doesn't surprise me that there's a lot of overlap in our fan base. Yeah, because yeah. of 
all the different influences. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. very important to us that we don't really try to get too bogged down in one subgenre or another and not think too hard about the subgenre of what we're doing. Not that we're not interested in it. I'm not one of these people who's like, why do you gotta put a label on things? I love talking about subgenres. I think it's really interesting. But when it's time to create, it, it's a, it can be a roadblock. And so we're not trying to really overly think too hard about any one, one sound. We're just trying to serve whatever the composition needs to be in the moment. And so I think that kind of comes in handy for getting people who might not normally be into really weird experimental heavy music to give it a chance. I was also going to jump in and answer this question where I've had conversations with a lot of people about this specific topic and uh, I feel like, so someone communicated it with me literally last night too, where I've had multiple people come up to shows for us and be like, I don't even listen to the type of music you guys make, but I really liked your set. And I'm like, that's cool, but what do you mean like the type of music that we make? And it's like, you know, we're a weird, heavy, chaotic band, but we also do everything that we do with a lot of heart and a lot of sincerity. And so, like, we use our stage as a platform always to talk about issues. Like, we talk about different legislation being passed in different states. We talk about different charities that you can support on stage. We talk about ways to organize. We try to help distribute information. Everything at our merch table is donation-based, so it's, like, flexible and always sliding scale. Like, that kind of stuff that we do is, like our values almost supersede our music a lot of the time. Where like people identify with what we're doing and the things that we're communicating so heavily that it doesn't matter what kind of music we're making because they'll be into it no matter what. So I think that's part of the reason why we kind of bridge the gap for like softer music and heavier music with a lot of people. I think people can like connect with the message. I, I wanted to ask you too, because y'all you have been like highlighting uh, different charities all tour, right? Yeah. Who, yeah. who are you, what are you hiring or uh, highlighting here? I need to do my research. Okay, well, that's okay. <laughs> here, um, I, I napping bet you can all ask, afternoon. Yeah, no, that's fine. No, do I bet you, you know any particular organizations worth talking about? <sighs> There's so many. Uh, yeah. I, I, I'm not going to be able to tell you off the top of my head. <laughs> no worries. But um, there's, there's, there's a lot. Um, one of the local ones that's like a big music one is uh, the New Orleans... Uh, I think it's like literally the New Orleans Music Coalition or something okay, like that. Okay, sick. Uh, I, gosh, I, if I had an anti-gravity, I could point to you like seven. Well, um, it, you know, it, 
I'll do like some research into it. And you're, are you gonna hang out at the show tonight? Yeah, I'm gonna stay. Well, I'm then, gonna take pictures too. Yeah, whichever one we end up talking about. If you want to just you put yeah. it in after the fact. Yeah, I can tell you. Uh, there's a few, and then there's also some cool ones. I bet you. Um, the. Uh, gosh, what's his name? Guy from Dow. Brian. <laughs> Brian. Brian Funk. Yeah, Brian's gonna know. Um, okay, cool. He's gonna know everything. I'm glad I'm not the only one that can't remember that dude's name. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, look, I know. Brian, I know. Brian's such a cool guy. He's I, I see him all the time, but I like I'm just bad with names. I guess. Did you already mentioned about how uh, sleeve how Brian gave you that record at that show. Oh, yeah, I'll never forget that. Um, what record? Uh, Heathens. Um, I just walked up to the merch table, just like the show that we opened for them, and. I was like, hey, how much is this record? And he was like, you're playing tonight, right? And I said, yeah. He said, just take it. I said, damn, okay. Uh, I just thought, you know, when somebody does that, it shows you that they really care about music, especially if they're in a bigger band and they actually care about whatever rinky-dink local band is playing with them that night, you know? So that that was really cool. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. No, it's a, that sounds aligned with everything I've, you know, learned about Brian yeah, yeah. <laughs> and my experience personally by talking to him that's awesome but super down to earth guy here did you want to say hi I'm sorry hi I'm Aaron <laughs> I, I'm just getting here I know <laughs> I see you got the Jillian Carter shirt on oh yeah I own a couple they're, they're great, one of our favorites great boys fun to play with. Style boys. hell yeah nice. yep they're also good friends of ours they're uh, hell uh, Nat you grew up with Carson right uh, we've known each other for a long time, but no, we didn't grow up together or oh, anything. I'm sorry. That's okay. <laughs> I do all the merch designs. Yeah. Yeah, Nat designed this uh, shirt, actually. Oh, that's yeah. cool. As well as, like, what, seven more? Yeah, oh, I think sure. we're at, like, 11 now. Aki forgot. Okay. Fast Fred. Oh, no. 11? That's a, I think 11. That is a I, lot of fucking shirts. Let me check the. Let me check the Google Drive folder. Okay. <laughs> the callus. That, that sounds like. Have you ever listened Class to Cowboys? Oh yeah, yeah, okay. I love Cowboys. <laughs> a very lot hilarious. of people in that love Cowboys. They're they're very uh, man. Their live show is completely fucked. I've never seen I've never seen them live. I, I missed my chance the one time they came here. They uh, are um, they are a powerhouse on stage. They yeah, just they sure worth checking out. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. If you ever get the chance to see Cowboys Boys live. They're a fucking party from start to finish. I believe it. I believe it. it, it that makes me kind of want to ask you guys, because I, I feel like uh, y'all's music has uh, elements of this. Callous Dowboys, you know, they're obviously, like, very funny. <laughs> but I feel like elements of, like, humor bleeds through a lot of y'all's music, like, specifically that song where at the end you're shouting... <laughs> Hang me from the ceiling fan and burn the office down, yeah. or what? However it goes. Yeah. I, is that I, to me? That's like very real, but also very funny. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, I worked an office job. I worked multiple office jobs actually for a long time that really uh, bummed me out. And I wrote that song specifically about one job that I worked where I had to wear scrubs. I was doing insurance adjustment for an eye surgery center. And so it was consistently like having to bill people for like shit that they could not afford and they were like losing their sight. And I had to work in a cubicle in a hallway with 
no lights and no windows. It was like computer monitors, no music was allowed, you weren't allowed to have headphones in, so it was just like you only heard people typing or talking on the phone with people who couldn't afford payments. And that was it. And it literally, like, I wanted to die every single day. I was like, I want to kill myself, and I want to set myself on fire in the middle of this office right now. And so that's exactly what that song is about. The the guy from Val, Brian Funk. Sorry. Oh, is that a show me the body tattoo? It is. <laughs> nice. <laughs> All of my tattoos are music related. Some better than others. <laughs> I love bad music. That's the one I can identify. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> me too, me too. But th- you, I feel like that is in and of itself an experience to radicalize yourself by. <laughs> but I'm curious. Um, how, how did, how, so I, I assume that's probably not what sort of quote-unquote radicalize you or if there even is a single event that you could point towards but like I think that for a lot of leftist people there's an experience like that that just sort of like points them in that direction is that something you'd be willing or wanting to talk about absolutely um so something from my childhood that kind of shaped the way that I think about banks and credit and the organization of money in the world was uh when I was nine years old my parents had to declare bankruptcy and a house that my dad purchased the land for and literally built himself 23 years before then he had to give it to a bank for like a couple hundred dollars because of bankruptcy and we had to move up to we had to move in with my uncle who is a business owner and we had to move up to St. Augustine with him And we moved into a house that he owned that we had to renovate entirely. Um, And the entire time we were renovating it, he was upping our rent for the renovations we were making to the house. And then when my parents had finished making all of the renovations, they asked to buy it from him. And he said, no, but you can keep renting it. Mm -hmm. And from that moment on, I realized that uh, money is stupid. (laughs) And a lot of people who are obsessed with it should just die. And so that was like a lot of what formulated my beliefs and then figuring out much more elegant and educated information about those same values uh, really took off. I'm sure Sleeve's story is more (laughs) academic. Oh, it's a lot less academic, actually. So I got arrested when I was uh, 21 years old. Uh, We were throwing a, a show at our house in states, Red Bird House. As the first first yeah. birdhouse show, ill fated. Um the very first one, yeah. Um it was a, the first one and then we had like a large gap because of what happened. So <coughs> excuse me, we were on stage and there was like a hundred people there. And these cops showed up and they raided the whole house. They uh, you know, kicked the door down, came in without a warrant. And we're like, what the fuck are you doing? You can't just come in here. You shut the fuck up. You think you're so smart, you fucking dumbass. And, you know, pointed shotguns in our faces and fucking destroyed our house. Like, literally tore it apart, broke so much stuff. And then the process after that to uh, to go through, to, 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 to 
actually get any form of justice so that we weren't going to have to be charged with these crimes that we didn't commit because every charge that they uh, put on the three people that they arrested in the house that night, um, nothing ever stuck. Everything got dropped. And we were lucky uh, that these cops were really, really bad at their job and, and just dumbass fascists who wanted to fuck around with some kids, you know, and fuck up some kids' situation for the evening. And just after going through that, you know, we they, they kept us in jail without a phone call for like two days. It was it was just bad. It was, everything that happened in that situation led me to see, you know, these people aren't here to protect us. They're they're clearly if they were, they wouldn't be doing stuff like that. You know, there wouldn't be so much time and energy and money dedicated to to keeping people from playing music in their backyard, you know? Yeah. And and so, again, we're fortunate enough at the time to be able to, like, all the three of our folks helped us with lawyers and shit. We're lucky. You know, we're lucky. Not everybody would have that situation. Insane that you had to get lawyers. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Especially because no, nothing ever came of it from them. The charges were bullshit. But, you know, if we were other people... It could have gone a lot worse. Um, and so that kind of inspired me to start thinking in that direction. And then, of course, just like with many people, once once Bernie ran, it kind of put a lot of, like, feelings that people had been having. It put, a, put a, like, a name and a face to it. And then from there, you know, of course, there are plenty of people who stopped at Bernie, but there are many more who didn't. And for me, that led to... I was like, yeah, you know what, it, it is fucked up that, you know, 1% of the population controls 99% of the money, you know, and, and you read more and you study and you go on from there and you start to realize that history from the beginning has been positioned to you incorrectly and everyone you know incorrectly, you know, and, and we're, from the start. Yeah, from the very beginning, it's all just falsehoods, so... That realization, that getting getting arrested that one day by those cops is kind of the domino that fell. You know, yeah. <laughs> they make their own, they dig their own graves, but by acting the way they act. Yeah, it, it sounds like they like a lot, but like I don't know. Like yeah. The fact that they were like, "Show up, you dumbass." Yeah, literally, we were like trying to assert our rights, and they were like, "You think you know your shit? You think you know anything? You're a fucking idiot!" You know. Insecurity of against college students or something exactly <laughs> exactly <laughs> i you know i i wanted to talk to y'all about this but i feel like both of those stories that y'all just told me like yeah. immeasurable amounts of rage yeah. <laughs> and yeah. i think that that pour, pours out of y'all's music very well and i think to me answers the question of like sort of like what the evolution from you in bird person to you now. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> it's just like sort of like that, that justified rage. But then I think something that's interesting is um, I think in the music there's a lot of lyrics about like um, like self-restraint. Like kind of like wanting to you know have these like fantasies of like killing people and like yeah. stuff like that too. And like sometimes wanting that more than just like a fantasy but like I don't know. I I want to know your thoughts too. Like, what what is sort of like the rage in your music, and what, what's like the line? Like, where, where 
That's a good question. Um, no, no, that's a good question. Um, did you hear that? <laughs> I think Nat might have a better answer for that one. Than oh me. goodness! <laughs> so let me rephrase this, and maybe I can make it better. Oh no, um, I want to hear the awkward so, phrasing. Yeah, I know. So I, I was basically asking. So we were talking about the radicalizing stuff, right? Um, and I feel like in y'all's music, there's a lot of rage, and I think a lot of that rage comes from like those incidents of like seeing what happened to your, your parents' home, and then with the, everything that was going on with having to like listen to insurance claims and all of that and then everything that happened with Aaron and the police I think that all of that just like fills a person with rage and I think that comes out in your music very clearly obviously but I think there's also an element of self-restraint especially in like a lot of lyricism where it just feels like there's a bit of a fantasy to it but it feels like there's also a bit of like I want to go beat the shit out of people, but I also want to make the world a better place. And so it's like radical empathy. And I guess I just wanted to talk to you a little bit about that and like kind of see how you have that rage in your music, but also have some kind of balance and like where that line is. So I feel like- I don't think that was any better. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm understanding the question, so I'm good. But I think that it's a balance of both like it's like I, I don't think one can exist without the other you know what I mean I don't think that a better world can happen without violence and I don't think that a better world can happen without rage I feel like there is a very small amount of people in the world right now that are directly responsible for all of the terrible shit that continues happening to everyone else and so I think that a necessary evil is the disposal and slash or damage of those people of that small percentage of people and I feel like that's really the only way to achieve a better world but the only way to make everyone in that larger population understand the dire need for things like that is through empathy open communication and genuine understanding I feel like the only thing that could really motivate someone is empathy for someone else you know what i mean and i don't think that there's room for anything but empathy and that it's like the opening line in undone where it's like it is through the righteous care for others that you begin to believe that certain people should not exist and it's like because i care so much about all of the people who just want to live their lives comfortably without having hoops to jump through I think that there are people who directly prevent that that should not be here. And so I feel like that's how I balance it. It's, 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 a, it's a necessary part of trying to, you know, create a better world, I suppose. Yeah. Go out and vote. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Come on, go to the polls. <laughs> Together we can act like we're making change. <laughs> Hi, Dalton here. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Uh, really appreciate anybody that stuck around and listened to this. I know it's not exactly podcast quality stuff. It's really just a live recording with very minimal editing. So really appreciate that if you listened all the way through. Uh, thank you so much to uh, the Holy Ghost Tabernacle Choir, of course. Uh, you know, everybody in the band. Uh, thank you all so much for the time and for being willing to do this. Uh, it's really awesome to be able to link up with artists and actually kind of uh, have a conversation and do things like that. So I love meeting new people. If you are a artist, writer, musician, anything like that, and uh, you know, you have something or want to work on a project or, you know, even if you just want to say hello, whatever, 
please send me a message. I am trying to reach out and do more things with other people. As this can sometimes be uh, weirdly lonely work. Uh, so, you know, uh, not to get too open heart there, but uh, yeah, thanks so much again. And uh, thank you so much for supporting. I don't know. I keep saying thank you. I, I just genuinely am like shocked if anyone actually listened to this and it's very appreciative. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> bye.